We have been looking at the life of David under the umbrella of developing a heart for God. We know that David is a man after God's own heart. And we learn something about David in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, uh, that's said of no one else in, in the Old Testament. It says that when David was anointed to be king by God, that the Holy Spirit came upon David in power and it stayed with him from that day forward. Now you would think from seeing that phrase that David would live his life totally under control of the Holy Spirit. That's what you would think. But we discovered that's not necessarily true. That David does not always live his life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. David is not always under the control of the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us as Christians. I don't know if I, I want to burst your bubble or not, but you know, you don't live every day of your life controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, if you think you do, we set up counseling sessions for people like you in my office uh, to help you uh, with your, with your, 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 uh, well, your craziness, okay? <laughs> that's what we do. So, uh, but, but that's what it is. You know, the Bible is clear that we can live our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, that the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, comes into our life, and we are to live our life controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for us. We know we can do that, but we also know that we have a tendency to quench the Spirit, which means we have this option. We can live controlled or we can live uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't want you to be foolish and think that we are always under the control of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do, I want to use the life of David and give you some examples of how this is illustrated in the life of David by looking at three episodes in the life of David revealed to us in 1 Samuel chapters 25 through 27. And these three chapters are going to illustrate this truth. And we're going to look at the, these words under the simple heading of don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. We're going to look at them as episodes. The first episode is the dangerous episode. In chapter 25, verse 1, we are told that the prophet Samuel dies. Suddenly, those people that are closest to David are passing away. We already know that David has lost Jonathan, his confidant. We saw last week was the last time he'd ever see Jonathan again. He's lost his confidence, his friend in Jonathan. Now he's losing his spiritual mentor in Samuel. Everything's falling apart around David. And as we look at verse 1, we see that everybody cries for Samuel. They mourn his loss. So David is, is mourning his loss. And then it says that David gets up from his grief and he moves on to the desert of Maon. He's still on the run from, from, from King Saul, who's still trying to kill him. And in, in chapter 25, we were introduced to a, a couple. We were introduced to a man by the name of Nabal and a woman by the name of Abigail. And what we will see in the life of David is that people will come into the story of David and they will teach us some truths. They will illustrate some things. And we can learn from these individuals in the greater context of learning from the life of David. As we look at this in chapter, in verse two, we see that Nabal is a wealthy individual, but we also see that he is rude and he's evil. He is impossible to get along with. You ever known somebody like that? 
You just cannot get along with these people no matter how hard uh, you try. Don't start looking around the room, okay? Uh, you know, we, we know there's people like that, all right? In contrast, we're told the story of Abigail. Abigail, is she's intelligent and she's beautiful. You know, guys, she, she's, she's got good sense and she's good looking. Uh, this is who she is. It, it makes you wonder how they ever got together. Uh, how did Abigail and Nabal ever get together? And here's the thing, and we don't have a lot of uh, girls in here, so I may, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in the second service, but here's the thing. She didn't have a lot of choice. And then their culture, she didn't have a choice of who she could marry. And I would say if you're a young lady, I know there's a couple of you in here. If you're a young lady, ladies, you've got a choice. Don't choose somebody like Nabal. Don't choose an individual like that. There's a lot better men out there than somebody like Nabal. So uh, we, we learn this about, about these individuals. And verse 4 says that Nabal is at the time of the seeds when they're shearing the sheep. And it says that, that David sends 10 men to talk to Nabal. And he tells the men, he says, go and tell Nabal that while he was, she while he was watching his sheep, while he was shearing his sheep, my men were watching over him. We were protecting him so that, uh, so that they would not be in danger, so they would not be harmed. This was the custom in those days. If somebody offered you that type of service, such as a, a protective service, the custom in that day was that you would reward them with some type of supplies, some type of food to pay them for doing this service for them. Uh, that They were to take care of that. They, so David is saying, Nabal, I'm asking you to follow the customs of the day. But notice Nabal's response in verses 10 and 11 of this passage. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? And who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? What a rude response. Uh, this individual who is rude gives a rude response. And what we have in this, in this chapter is a portrait of a fool. This is a portrait of a fool. This is a man whose material things are number one in his life. He is more interested in what belongs to him and what he can keep for himself than taking what he has that he's been blessed with and blessing other people. This is the portrait of a fool. So instead of being a blessing to David and his men, what does he do? He responds in anger. He responds in hatred. He blows up and he sends this hateful message back to David. You ever known anybody like that? You know, they just blow up at, at, the, at the slightest thing. You know, you can tell them, Jesus loves you and they want to fight. Uh, that's the type of person that Nabal is. He just wants to get in everybody's face. Notice how David responds. The men come back and they report this. Notice what David says, put on your swords. He says, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. David's hot. David's going to teach Nabal a lesson. I know what you're asking. Isn't this the same man that just showed grace and kindness to Saul who was trying to kill him? Isn't this the man who's described as a man after God's own heart? Isn't this the man that the Spirit of the Lord uh, descended upon him in power? And from that day forward, David lived his life under the control of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's the same man. 
What we're seeing is that David has entered into a dangerous situation in his life. The name Nabal means fool is what the name means. But the danger in this passage is that David is going to act like a fool in this situation. David lets his anger get the best of him and he forgets who he is and he forgets where he's headed. David is going to be the next king of Israel. He's going to rule over these people. He's going to sit on the throne of the nation of Israel. But he's allowed his anger to make a fool out of him. You see, when we allow our anger to get the best of us, uh, we forget who we are as well. It's amazing how we sometimes let little and unimportant things cause us to lose our temper. Anger is a learned response to frustration. And many people, because they get in frustrating situations, all they can do is lash out in anger. Did you know that anger is a form of insanity? It really is. When, 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 when you allow your anger to control you, you get out of your mind, which is a form of insanity. It's a form of craziness because you're acting outside of yourself because you're allowing something else to control your situation. So here's a man, here's a fool of a man. What's the big deal? So what Nabal's done this to him? Why is this such a big deal? Why get so upset? David overreacts to the situation. He's making a mountain out of a molehill. You know, we, we all do that. We all can talk about those things that make us angry. Let me use my own self as an example. You know, usually when something really goes bad, I'm pretty level-headed. I can say, okay, I can rationalize, I can work through it. But man, you let something go wrong in some little project at my house, man, I, I, I blow up. Yesterday, I was doing, doing a little job at my house. And, you know, I looked at it, I said, I've done this before. I know it will take me, you know, 15 minutes to do it. And two hours later, uh, you know, after I'd already beat my hammer, my, my, ham, my, my hammer with the nail, my finger, my finger with the uh, hammer and said, uh, said a few words that uh, I wouldn't want my, my wife to hear, like darn and dad nabbit. <laughs> yeah, you thought she was thinking other things. Shame on you. Shame on you. Yeah. Uh, finally got it done. And I, and I looked at it. I said, I should have paid somebody to do this because it's terrible. It's terrible. But I let my anger get control of me. It's a little stupid thing. And you know what? I look around the room and some of you have nodding your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is what happened to David. The same thing happened to him. So verse 14 one of Nabal's men sees, hey, I see what's about to happen. And so he's, he's a little sharper. So he runs and he tells Abigail what is about to take place. Abigail knows there's an emergency. You know, she's sharp. She's, got, she's quick. She recognizes the situation. And so she begins to put together some supplies and some food to take them to David. Do you see the picture? You see what's happening? David is on his way to kill Nabal, and Abigail's on her way to meet David. And when you look at Abigail's speech, when you have time, uh, you look at her speech, uh, you say how she just totally honors David. She calls David her Lord six times, and she calls herself his servant six times. What a, what a sign of humility in her. And look at verse 25 in, in what she says. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is Fool. 
and folly goes with them. Now, guys, she's talking about her husband. You know you're in bad shape when your wife is talking to you. She says, my husband's an idiot. Don't pay attention to him. That's the modern day unpublished whirly version, in case you didn't know. Uh, my husband's an idiot. Don't pay attention to him. And then she, she, she does something that so few of us are willing to do. She begins to take the blame for what someone else did. She goes, I, I, I did this. Uh, this is my fault. She takes the guilt upon herself. And then she acknowledges a truth that Nabal failed to see in David in verse 28. Look at what she says. Please forgive your servant's offense. She's talking about herself. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Here's what she's saying to David. She's saying, David, you are above this foolishness you are displaying. Uh, you know, uh, don't, don't be like my husband. You know, you are God's man. Don't stoop to the level of a fool like Nabal and behave foolishly in this situation. David realizes he's made a mistake. David realizes that he's been foolish. He has allowed a fool of a man such as Nabal to make him foolish. What's the word for you and I? Don't let the fools of this world make you act like a fool. Listen, just because they're foolish and just because they live the way they live and because they live their life on a certain level doesn't mean you need to stoop to their level and be foolish along with them. God puts Abigail in David's life. Aren't you glad that God puts people like Abigail in our life to stop us from making stupid decisions? God puts Abigail in David's life and Abigail praises God he expresses his gratitude for God for Abigail and from keeping him from making a terrible mistake. This would have stuck with David forever if he had done this. So Abigail returns back to her husband, but she doesn't say a word to her husband. You know why? Because he's out partying. Abigail learned, knows something that may be practical for us. She knows that you can't communicate to a drunk. You just can't. So she says, he's drunk, I'm going to let him sleep it off, I'll tell him about it in the morning. So she, he gets, he, she uh, waits in the morning, and, and she gets up, and she tells what happens. In verse 37, she tells, uh, he tells him what happens, and the passage says that his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. And 10 days later, he dies. I've often wondered... Did Nabal die because Abigail gave all his stuff away? Or did he die because he realized how close to death he'd come? We'll never know. All we know is that 10 days later, Nabal passes away. David hears the news. He's overjoyed. He rejoices. He's excited that Nabal has died. He says, not only has God protected me from being a fool, but he has vindicated my cause by, by, by making, you know, what I did was right, what Nabal did was wrong. He says, I have been vindicated. Do you remember in verse 1, it talked about Samuel died and said all of Israel wept for him. Here Nabal dies and not one person weeps for him. No one's sad that Nabal dies. As a matter of fact, they're glad that he's dead. 
Listen, you should live your life in such a way that when you die, people are sad, not glad. How, you, how are people going to remember you when you die? Are, are they counting the days until you're gone? Or are they going to be sad when you die? You should live your life in such a way that people will be sad when you die. I always tell people, live your life so the preacher won't have to make up lies about you. They're sad. The people wept, but now they are rejoicing. Now, the rest of that chapter deals with how Abigail becomes the wife of David. Uh, he already had a wife. We're not going to get into that. Uh, you know, but she becomes his wife. This was a dangerous episode in the life of David. David is right on the edge of making a mistake. He revealed that he was not under the control of the Holy Spirit, and he was foolish. And foolish people make bad decisions. Foolish people do not walk with the Spirit. Let's look at episode two. Episode two, I've entitled a glorious episode. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 26. In cha chapter 26, David is given another chance to kill King Saul. Saul has gathered around uh, David. He's got 300 men hot on the trail of David. David sends out his spies to find out where Saul is. And he discovers where Saul's at. And Saul's camped uh, down in a little valley. And, and it says in verse 12 that God calls a deep sleep to fall upon the people in Saul's camp. Saul's there and, and Abner, the captain of the guard, the right-hand man of Saul, is right there with Saul. So Abishai, who's a warrior for David, he believes, hey, this is, this, this is our opportunity. Notice what he says in verse 8 of this passage. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. In other words, I only need one blow to do this. Let, let, me, let me run my spear through him and I'll pin him to the ground. He's giving David an out. He said, David, I'll kill him for you. David, let me do the dirty work. I'll kill him for you. Now, David's just won a victory for, for over, over this, over temptation in chapter 24. And he, he, he said, I'm not going to kill Saul. But now he's being tempted again. And the thing is, someone is willing to do the dirty work for him. Uh, he, he's, been, he's given this opportunity so here's the lesson for you and I that I want us to grasp from this. Just because someone is willing to fight the battle for you does not mean it is God's will. Just because someone's willing to go to war for you does not mean they're in, that's, that is the will of God in that situation. So David resists. He says, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. I'm not going to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So he said, Abishai, instead of killing him, go down there and, and get his spear and get the water jug at his head. And so Abishai gets that and he, and, he, and he brings it back to David. And David holds up the spear and the water jug and he shouts out to the people uh, down in the, in the valley around the camp. Matter of fact, he shouts out to Abner. And basically what he says, Abner! Abner, you ought to be killed and all your men ought to be killed with you because you didn't protect the Lord's anointed. Look what I've got. He's calling them out. He said, he said I'm better than you because I didn't give in to the temptation to kill and you should have been protecting our king. Saul's 
hears it. And David enters in a dialogue with Saul. And he says, King, what have I done? Why are you pursuing me? If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then I want to get right with God. I will make an offering. But if it's people who are telling lies, then may God deal with them. And Saul falls under conviction. He's convicted by what David says. Look what he says in verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Oh, how many of us need to say that? How many people need to say, I have sinned? He come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. Did you hear what Saul said? I have acted like a fool, and fools make stupid decisions. I've acted like a fool, and I've erred greatly. I've made a great mistake. Why? Because I've been acting like a fool. David doesn't take Saul up on his offer. Even though Saul confesses his, his wrong, he knows in his heart that Saul is not going to change his intentions. It'll just be a matter of time when Saul will be trying to kill David again. So what does David do? He goes, I'm going to leave everything to God. Look at what he says, verses 23 through 24. The reward rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. You know, we could preach a sermon on that passage. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. He rewards everyone. He goes on. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. You know what David is saying? He's saying, I will put my life in the hands of the Lord. I'm going to put my hands, my life in the hands of God. Listen, you will always do well if you place your life in the hands of the Lord. Always. And just trust him and walk by faith and not by sight. This is a glorious episode in the life of David. He's resisted temptation. He's walking in the spirit. This is evidence. This passage, this chapter is evidence that the spirit of God is working in David's life. Verse 25 says that David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Well, you would think Saul, David's, David's there. He's reached the, reached the top. Well, we come to episode three, which I've entitled a terrible episode. David's passed the test. He's now walking in the spirit. You know, he, he, he's, he's, he's on top now. He will never again make another mistake. Then all of a sudden, everything spins out of control in chapter 27. And David makes a decision that leads to a terrible, terrible episode in his life. He's just won this great victory over temptation. He's passed the test. He's expressed his, his, his trust in God to deliver him from trouble. And then look at verse 1. I mean, this is right after this happens, verse 1. But, anytime you see but, it's a big but, trust me, okay? Uh, you, you better know exactly what it's there for. But, David thought to himself... One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. David has not learned his lesson. 
The best thing you can do, David, is go to the land of the Philistines? No, David. The best thing you can do is walk with the Lord. The best thing you can do is trust the Lord, David. That's the best thing you do. He says, I can't trust the Lord. I'm going to take this in my own hands, and I'm going to flee to the land of my enemy. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. He's already been there once. Yeah, I think there's an evidence there that, look, as a Christian, you can't dabble in the darkness. We walk in the light. We don't spend time in the darkness. We walk in the light. David is making a terrible decision. He's not learned a lesson from this. He's talking to himself in verse 1. But there's no evidence that he ever talks with God. Instead, he runs right into the hands of the enemy. He runs right to King Achish. And he says, I'm going to live in the land of the enemy. What we have going on in this passage is a lot of Christians that do the same, same thing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You get upset with God. You don't believe that God can meet your need. You don't believe that God can, can, can take care of you. So what do you do? Oh, I'll just leave the church and you abandon your faith and you go and you compromise your life. You compromise your values in the world of the enemy. That's exactly what, what David is doing. We stopped, he stopped relying on God and he started relying on himself. And you know you resemble that remark as well. We all do. <coughs> At first, it looks like a success. Saul stops looking for David. When he hears that Saul's, when he hears that David is in the, the land of the Philistines, he stops looking. But listen, don't assume that just because things seem to be working out that everything is right. Just because you've compromised with the world as a Christian and things are a little easier for you, don't think that that's God's will for your life. Don't assume God is pleased when you compromise with the enemy and you live in the world. Don't think that, he's con that you're doing that. Verse 5, David goes to King Achish and he says, and he says this in verse 5, Notice what he says. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, a Christian, a, a believer should never find favor in the eyes of the world. Let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish assigns him the city of Ziklag. He goes in and lives in the, in the city of Ziklag. He, he sets up a home there. He moves his family there. You know, many, that's representative of many Christians today that cave into the culture. They've compromised their testimony. They've compromised their values. They're, they're living in a place of compromise with the enemy. Listen, when you are out of the will of God, you will make a lot of foolish decisions. You will do it. David probably said, you know, I'm not going to live there long. I'm just going to live there long enough to get my feet on the ground. You know, I'm just going to do this because I need to get stabilized. Well, he lived there a lot longer than he thought he was going to live there. Verse 7 says he lived there 16 months in the land of compromise. And what happened at that time? David becomes a murderous cutthroat. He becomes a mercenary. And he goes around, and what he does, he raids nearby villages, and he kills every man, woman, and child. Why? Because he doesn't want there to be any evidence what he's doing that can report back to King Achish. Now listen, some people say, well, it's justified because he's killing Philistines. It's justified. 
But God never approved it. Never once. Just because we think it might be in God's will does not mean that God is allowing it or permitting it, wanting it to happen. He's not condoning it. David's just had this glorious experience of overcoming temptation, and now he finds himself in this terrible episode of his life. Don't ever think you've arrived as a Christian. Don't ever think you've got it all together. The very moment you think you've arrived as as a Christian and you become a, a super saint is exactly the time that Satan will bring you down. When you become cocky, when you become confident, and you think that you're above what's going on around you, that's when it happens. So David becomes this murderous cutthroat. He does these murderous raids. He goes down to the Gaza Strip. Isn't that interesting? The Gaza Strip is still a bed, a hotbed, uh, is, a, is a place, a hotbed today. It was the same back then. And we think we're going to solve the problem. Are we smarter than God? David goes down to the, to the Gaza Strip and, and, he, and he wipes out entire villages. And then King Achish asks David, David, where you been? And he, he lies to him. Lies to his face to King Achish to cover up his deeds. You see, on the inside, David is an Israelite. But on the outside, David is a Philistine. On the inside... He's a man of God. On the outside, he's a man of the enemy. Some Christians are like that. On the inside, we're believers in Christ. But by our actions, we reveal that we're not. That's exactly what's going on. We say we're followers of Christ, or we keep it, we, we believe in Jesus, but by the way we live our lives, we give testimony to the world that we're not really a follower of Jesus. David was doing the same thing. He said, I serve, a, I serve God, but he was living his life as one who did not serve God. The key to this chapter is to understand there's no mention of God anywhere in this chapter. In chapter 27, God is not mentioned. There's no worship of God. There's no psalms that are written. Uh, there's no promises claimed. There's no prayers offered. And here's a truth that we need to grasp. When you are living in a compromised position, you are very rarely going to worship God. There, I said it. It's out. I know it's saying, oh, I can worship God as well out, out there in the world as I can here. That is a lie straight from hell. It ain't going to happen. And I don't care how good people think they are. It is not going to happen. You're not going to worship God. Oh, I can worship God amongst the trees. I ask, so can a druid. No, you can't. David is living proof of that. He gets out there in the land of compromise. He gets out there in the land of the enemy. He doesn't worship God. He doesn't serve God. He doesn't follow God. Instead, he follows the ways of the world. Many of us are the same way. When we get out of the will of God, we will make foolish decisions. Decisions that will impact us for generations. Decisions that will hinder our life and they will hinder our witness. 
But there is good news. You have to be here next week to hear the good news. But let me give you a taste of it. God can still bring you out. God can still deliver you. Just as he's going to do to David. He's going to deliver David from this situation. And he'll bring restoration to David that will change his life. God can do the same thing for you. No matter where you're living. Maybe you find yourself living in the land of compromise. Maybe you find yourself living in a situation where you give lip service to God, but you're not really following God. I want you to know that God loves you, and he's made a way to restore you. And he says that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all unrighteousness if you'll just confess, if you'll do that. You can return to God. Don't be like Nabal and be foolish. Don't be like David and make foolish decisions. Don't be like Saul and become a fool and make bad decisions. Don't, don't be like, like David and be a foolish and, and think that you don't have to depend upon God. All you got to do is depend upon yourself. Because when you do those things, you reveal that you're not living your life controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God will never lead you in those paths. He will always lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Always do it. The Holy Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never contradict God's sovereignty. Never. So if you ever find yourself in conflict with the Word of God, guess what? It's not the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of the world. Learn these lessons from the life of David. Don't be foolish. Turn to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to control your life and direct your paths. Allow that to happen in your life. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time when you get to respond to, to what you've heard. Maybe a song you heard, a prayer that was prayed, a message that was proclaimed. Maybe God wants you to respond. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Kip's going to come up and lead us in the song. We're going to stand together. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll give you an opportunity to respond. Marcy will make her way down. Josh will come down. We'll be here for you if you want to talk. I want somebody to pray with you.